Well, that's impressive. <laughs> I hope I hold up to the billing. That's great. <laughs> Good morning, family. Before we get into our subject this morning, I do want to make mention. We are on a, on a journey together and uh, a challenge. Our staff got together. We've been praying and thinking the, the challenges before us in this next season, summer time coming and, and uh, what that means for us as a church. And uh, we want to make a challenge to every person in our church. Um, and this is the challenge. We're asking that every person in our church will serve one Sunday morning, one Sunday morning through the entire summer. Just one sun, Sunday morning. Now, some of you serve way more than that, and we're grateful, and we hope you don't go, okay, I only get to serve one Sunday morning. <laughs> but um, I don't think it's actually too much to ask if this is your church, that you could take one, just one, Sunday morning. Do you think you could do that? One Sunday morning and serve in one area. And you choose, you know, um, you, we'll, 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 you know, talk with you and so forth. And uh, you can sign up. And you can sign up for whatever day, whatever Sunday you want during the summer to serve. And some of you, are, if you're sitting there going, I'm not serving for anybody. Um... I'll let you talk to God about that. <clears throat> but could we um, consider one Sunday? And uh, maybe it's usher, maybe it's a greeter, maybe it's working in the ca cafeteria and helping serve or, you know, hand out donuts or, or what have you. There's a lot of areas, children's ministry. There's so many places where we uh, could really use you during the summer to give one Sunday morning, one service. And uh, you get to serve one service and then come to the other. and be up. So you don't even miss church. So is that okay? We ask you to do that. Will you consider that? Um, I think there's um, sign-up cards in the back of the chairs. And I encourage you to, to do that or go online and you can sign up for that. And uh, we'll be hunting you down. We will come to your house. Carol and I will show up, and uh, you can buy your way out by giving us a dinner or something. Okay, all the foolishness is over. Let's talk about the promised land. Let's talk about what's going on today. I decided I would talk about prophecy, Bible prophecy, which is something whenever we do, we always have an increase of online watchers, and um, so those of you who are online watching, um, I'm glad you're with us today, but I want to talk about prophecy, and let me tell you, um, prophecy has such incredible value to us, and uh, the, actually the prophecy, for, for one, pushes us, pushes, pushes, I'll get some water in me, mm. okay, try it again pushes us toward holy living. And in fact, 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, that means when he comes, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 
And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Having the hope of the return of Christ, the revelation of Jesus that comes when he returns, causes us to look inside and see where in our life we need some adjustment. We know that we could see the Lord soon. And so this hope that we have causes us to look at our life and say, are we aligning ourselves with the will of God? It also, prophecy motivates us to become a change agent in the world. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4, it says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for, for one another. For love will uncover a multitude of sins. Listen, be watchful in your prayers. Um, have fervent love toward one another. He says that in the context of knowing that the Lord is coming. The end of all things is at hand. And the more we see that happening, the scripture actually tells us, when we see that day approaching, we are to gather more frequently. We're to be connected with the body of Christ. The Bible says don't forsake the assembling of ourselves, especially as you see the day approaching. Those are the times we want to be together and strengthening one another. Prophecy helps us to be prepared for the future when we know what's going on and what's happening. And we can anticipate because the Bible tells us something is going to happen. Jesus warned the the people of Israel before he left. He said, listen, when you see this city surrounded by armies, when you see that start to happen, you better get out of here fast. And those who did were able to to save their lives. Those who didn't, they died. They died. You know, 70 AD, we talk about that in, in a little while. Prophecy reminds us that we are on the winning side. Isn't that good? That we know we're, we're, when it finally ends, we, I've read the end of the book. I was discussing with someone the other day, and they were talking about, about you know, current events and, and predicting what they thought was going to happen. And I said, no, it's not actually going to happen that way. And we started to talk. And I says, I know because I read, the, I, I, I read the end of the book. I know what's happening according to God's word. And there are certain things that must take place for that to happen. And so prophecy affirms our destination. It, it reminds us of the fact, it, it uh, affirms the fact that at the end, we all get to be together as followers of Christ. We all gather together for eternity with God. And, uh, and the, the, the place we're going, then the... And, what that is all about, what God's end result is for us. And let me tell you, America in its best days has, can't compare to what, it's, what this world will be like under the leadership of Jesus Christ. So, well, we've seen some things happening this day, these days that remind us of what uh, the Bible tells, talks to us about, about end times events and what we can expect in, at the end, and, and as we read the scriptures, you read the book of Revelation, read the Olivet Discourse, you read uh, much of the New Testament writers talking about what comes at the end and what you find out, and of course Old Testament prophets too, that, um, that much, much of what is happening today is an 
orchestrating, I believe, by God to get us to the place of the final day of judgment that is coming upon this earth. And everything culminates at one day. And uh, a day that's called the day of the Lord, uh, which is misunderstood. I really believe that the day of the Lord that's referred to in the scriptures is not a seven-year period. It is a day. It is a day of, of, of blessing. It's a day of, of, of the glory of the Lord, as, it, as it, the Bible tells us. And it is also a day of judgment, a day of, of, uh, of severity. And it's all heading toward that day. That's the final destination that we're headed to. And I mean, it's not the end because it's the beginning of a new era as we have um, the reign of Christ for a thousand years and ultimately eternity. But it's, it's that day that we're, we're looking as things are coming, coming together. And, uh, and it's all centered, much of it, I shouldn't say all, but it's much, much of it, most of it is centered around one city in the world. And it's not the most populous city. It's not even a very large city. But it is God's city. It's called the promised land. It's, in fact, Jerusalem. It's the land of promise that God has given. And, of course, the land of promise is all of Israel. And it's a larger property. But Jerusalem is the center point. And, uh, and then I remember going there for the very first time in 1984. And uh, stepping on that ground and feeling something of this is like home. And I can't explain it. Maybe it's because Israel is a lot like Southern California in its, uh, you know, in, in, in its uh, land and, and, its, you know, and uh, all of its uh, surroundings. It really looks like that. Even some of the, the neighborhoods are built from Southern. A lot of the Jews came from, of course, the United States to, to Israel. Europe mostly, but a lot of uh, a lot of American Jews are there, and uh, and so we, as we look at what's taking place today, I mean, we it's been in the news. There's um, Hamas has been shooting rockets. Last time I heard 2,600. I don't know if I'm out of date now. I mean, they've just been coming. 2,600 missiles have been shot into Israel. Um, and uh, the Iron Dome of Israel has been able to block most of those, but some of them hit, and people have died. And Israel decided that they're going to send back their own this time. I think Hamas, when it first started, they sent five missiles into Jerusalem and anticipated that the Jews wouldn't do anything, that Israel would not do anything or do much about that. They, I think they overstepped their their um, confidence that now that Biden is in the presidency that he wouldn't rise up and do anything or help them and he didn't but they didn't really wait for Biden's approval to go and hit back and they have and they've hit back hard and and so there has been now this whole barrage of missiles coming in and Israel attacking Hamas in Gaza, and and there's a whole play. It's a, it's a really a, a, an entire political play that is going down. It's really not about the you know about the uh, Hamas deciding they're going to 
win a war with Israel. They're not even considering that as a possibility. Actually, it has to do with the president. It has to do with their, their leadership in Hamas in Gaza and the leadership in the among the Palestinians and uh, on the West Bank. And there's kind of a battle for leadership. And Hamas wants to be um, considered the, 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 the trustworthy group to defend against the evil of Israel, and uh, at least in their idea of, of that. And so they have, they stirred up things. And Israel has fought back. And what they didn't assume or didn't realize how hard Israel was going to kick back. And Israel has kicked back hard. And they've attacked uh, and, and really annihilated much of the leadership of Hamas. They've done, and they've, they, have, uh, they have encroached into Gaza. And, uh, and the, the Gaza Strip, I think, should have never been given back by Israel. I think they should have kept it um, when, they, when they won it in the Six-Day War. And I think what Israel's mistake has been, and I think from a biblical standpoint you could support this, that God had promised the children of Israel a land, and it was theirs. They had scattered all over the world. God brought them back. A war, wars ensued that they didn't start, that was to try to annihilate them and get them out. And each time the wars happened, Israel won. So the, you know, the, the nations around them attacked them, Israel won. And then Israel took ground when they won the war. And too often, they gave ground back because they're called occupiers. They have occupied our land. Well, you started the war in the first place. So, you, you know, you, you, they're, they're taking land as a protection. And so Israel has done that. Now, I'm on, I want to say this about Israel. They're not a godly nation. That might be, surprise you because sometimes Christians will talk about Israel as being this great godly nation. They're not godly. In fact, the majority of the Jews in Israel are, 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 are simply materialists. They're, they're agnostics and atheists. Um, they're not uh, strong followers of God by any means. There, there's a segment. And there's a growing group of Messianic Jews who have come to know Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as Jews. That is growing. It's a small group, but it is growing. But Israel's not in the land and being blessed because they themselves have been so godly. That's not the case. They're there because of a promise that has been made. And God would bless them. And they're in the process of being blessed. That process of being blessed and being attacked, both, is, I think, a work of God to, uh, God is allowing it because he's going to bring Israel to their knees. The Jews will be saved. There is going to be a revival in Israel, and we have biblical support for that. There's going to be a great revival at the end when Jesus, as, when Jesus comes. They are going to turn to the Lord in mass. But they, they're, com they're coming to that place, and where they are now, 
um, has to do with a promise. And I want to give you a foundation. I'm going to have to, I'm going to give you a lot of information in a very short period of time. But I want to talk to you about two covenants in the Bible. Because if you understand the covenants, you understand a principle that you can follow on your own as you're opening up your news, your news, newspapers or what have you, getting your news and seeing what's going on in Israel, you'll be able to figure out some of the things that we're, that, that we're talking about because you'll understand what is actually taking place. And so I want to give you, and, and, and the, another reason I want to give this to you is because there's a segment of the church, um, mostly mainline denominational churches that are dying, that, that have a view of what's going on in Israel completely different than what the Bible says. Let me tell you where it all came down. Many years ago, many years ago, there was a turn against the Jewish people in the church. We're talking late um, third century, fourth century, in which the church, I'm talking about the mainline church or the Catholic church at that time, which for years was not the organization of the Catholic church. It was just Christians. But leadership that rose up, unfortunately, the wrong leadership rose up. People who rose up in leadership, the bishop, for instance, in Rome and so forth, who became anti-Jewish. One of the reasons is the Jews were kicked out of Rome, then they returned, and, the, and these people, the, this one bishop particularly, took, came to leadership in the church because the Jewish leadership was dismantled from the church in Rome. He, he, a lot came out of that political garbage had nothing to do with God's word, and in fact, pushed back against the Jews. And for many, many centuries, the Jews were considered like God had for, not only forsaken them, but he had just kind of, the, the, he's not dealing with them anymore. Um, the word, is, the, it's called replacement theology, where the idea is that the church now has taken the place of, of uh, God's promise to, the, to Abraham and the Jewish nation. And he has just kind of got rid of them. They, they don't count anymore. And because of that, when the miraculous happened, the miraculous, you know, just, just what, seven years earlier, eight years earlier, six million Jews were annihilated, and now a nation formed. And in 1948, this, you know, Jews started coming. They, they were already in, in uh, Israel, the land of Israel. But they started coming to the promised land in great amounts. And it was a desert. I have pictures of, of that time in, I, in my office. And I should have brought them. But, but it was a desert. And God brought them together. And a miracle happened. The nations around them Wanted, didn't want them to become a nation. And when they were declared a nation, because Truman entered in, and uh, because the United States supported them, in the, and, and so forth, that at, at that point, they tried to stop them right from the beginning. 
and they had a miracle win. They didn't have, they didn't have military, they didn't have soldiers. It had people who had gathered together to defend a land that they were living in. And today, that, listen, from 1948, they're, they're birthed as this small group of people. Today, they're the 19th largest economy in the world. And they only have, they have less than 10 million people in the entire country. The landmass is smaller than New Jersey. They, how's this all happening? Tremendous things are taking place. Wealth, their army, we're not sure actually where their army stands in the world, but some say they, they're somewhere between the ninth strongest to the fifth strongest military. I don't know how, I don't know how you match that, but they... They, they have more than people know. And I know in 1948, I saw the place where, in fact, they, had, they already had nuclear warheads in 1984. So um, let me tell you about these two covenants. The first one, and you've, many of you have heard this before and you know it, is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant uh, was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God had spoke to Abraham and told him to leave Ur of Chaldees. And, and this is the covenant that every Christian needs to know about. Um, because we come under the Abrahamic covenant. Now we are in, we have the, we have, you know, of course, the blood covenant of Jesus Christ, which supersedes. But these are promises in the Abrahamic covenant that apply to us still. It says, now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now that's a whole teaching all in itself. Look at the promises that are in there. Those are the promises to Abraham. They would be promises to his seed. They'll be promises to us who come under the Abrahamic covenant as followers of Jesus Christ. God promises blessing upon us. God promises that he would bless through us. God promises that those who will curse us will be cursed. That, that God defends us. You know, Scripture says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. There's so much in the promises here of God for our lives. On a personal basis, you, you probably ought to do a little bit of re- reading about that and studying on your own. But I want to get to the point of th- this morning. Then Abraham took Sarah's wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions and they had gathered and the people whom they acquired in Haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So that's where they go. And we see, let me show you the map that, um, that, that should show you the map. Um, there's a map somewhere that shows the, the, the uh, journey of Abraham. And so we see how he comes from, um, he, he starts down here in Ur of Chaldees. Now this is the area of, of uh, um, that you see Iraq here. And Syria, this is Syria. He comes up through Syria, over and down through Iraq, all the way to the, the, the promised land, down here. And uh, you see in, in Hebron, Moriah, Sechem, those are the areas right there 
today of Jerusalem and, uh, and all of that. And then he goes down into Goshen. Remember, he went down into Egypt and comes back. God had said, every place your foot treads upon will be yours. And so the, the land of Israel today is not the land of promise. The land of promise is much bigger that God has promised Israel. Now look at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. That's God said that to Abraham. I will give this land that he's walked on. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14 um, God visits Abraham again, and the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift, lift your eyes now and look from this place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all of the land which, I, which you see, I give to you and your descendants, and then he adds this, forever. Everybody say forever. Forever. That's not a part-time thing. It's not during a season. It is a promise forever. So the idea of replacement theology is wrong. God didn't stop there and replace Israel or the, the seed of Abraham as, with the church. In fact, the church is grafted in. This promise, by the way, of, of that land being ours is not just to the Jews. Ultimately, the church will live there too. There's a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven that we, in fact, will be part of. And that's a whole nother teaching. But, but, but then God, in chapter 15, verse 8, God does something that's really kind of strange. It says in verse 8, On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land... <clears throat> And uh, verse 18, I, I've given this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, and the, all the ites, and the uh, Kadmonites, and Hittites, and Perizzites, and so forth. Um, Amorites, you got it. And, and then, give me the next uh, slide. And then he gave them this land. That, so he, he marks out all the land that he was giving. Now you can see right there where it says Canaan and that's where, that's where Israel's land is right there now. But this goes down all the way to the Nile River, all across Euphrates River and, uh, and this entire area of, of Syria and part of Saudi Arabia and, uh, and so forth is, um, is the land mass that God promises ultimately at the end, Israel will have. Now, Israel has been brought back to the land, but God had promised all this land. So, some way and somehow, God is going to get, give Israel all this land. And how is that going to happen? Who knows? But I tell you that they started with a smaller piece of land, and their land has grown. How did it grow so far? It grew through warfare. 
it grew through enemies attacking them, them attacking back and taking land to protect themselves, and they've grown the land. Now, on some occasions, they gave land back, like Gaza, the area right now that they're being pummeled with, they gave that land back. They, sh they didn't need to give it back. They did give it back. Now they suffer the consequences of that. The same thing with the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount was Israel. When they conquered in 1967, when they conquered Jerusalem, they conquered all of Jerusalem. The Temple Mount would have been theirs. They chose to give oversight to the Jordanians to, um, to oversee the Temple Mount. And they've had all kinds of problems ever since. It, they, it should have stayed under their control. They could have worked with the Muslims, and they do. By the way, in Israel today, Muslims worship, Jews worship. You know, Israelites, in fact, Muslims in, in Israel call themselves Israelites. So, and they vote, and they're, they're part of the community. But there is, the, you know, the Palestinian element, and the Hamas element, which is a religious sect of, uh, of, of Islam, and, uh, and they are, um, they're, they're intent on destroying Israel and taking back the land, taking back um, Jerusalem and taking the Temple Mount and, um, and reinstituting uh, you know, Islam fully in Israel, eliminating the Jews. Now, God says, I'll give you this land. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 6. Because I just want to kind of con keep confirming this. I want you to, because we're going to go to another covenant, and it'll all come together. Could you just stay with me on this? I believe you'll get an understanding of the scripture in this that will help you in, with end times understanding. It says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Now what is he talking about? In the 15th chapter of Genesis, God had told Abraham, I'm, gonna ma I'm making a covenant with you. Now, he's already told him, right? He's, he made a promise that he's going to have, in fact, he's going to, you know, be able to have, that land is going to be his and his descendants. He made that promise. But then he made a covenant. And what he did, it's a kind of a strange way in which they would, sometimes it's called a blood covenant. It's a death covenant. And they would take animals and they'd cut them in half, place them on two sides. Then the people who are making a covenant, it could be a business covenant, it could be a, a wedding, it could be a covenant between a husband and a wife. Um, it was a death covenant. I don't know if you want to do that, but you'd, you'd, and they would walk hand in hand through the, um, the, the animals as they're making this covenant, which meant this, if you broke the covenant, you it could cost you your life. So what God did, he says, I'm making a covenant with you. And he put Abraham to sleep. And Abraham sees what God is doing. And first God tells him to cut the animals, make it all ready. Abraham falls into a deep sleep. And he sees that God walks through all by himself. He doesn't walk hand in hand with Abraham. He walks through all by himself. Why? Because God was making a covenant. He was swearing, if you would, for himself. 
The only way God could break the covenant is he would die. That can't happen. And so he was making his covenant, and it didn't require anything of Abraham or on Abraham's part for the covenant to be fulfilled. How would you like a contract in which you don't have to do anything, you only get the rewards of? That's a pretty good contract. That was what was going on. God made a contract or a covenant with Abraham. God walks through all by himself. So Abraham, you don't have to do anything. So in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 13, the New Testament writer says, For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. See, God made this promise, and he did it all by himself, and he couldn't swear very any higher. He's the highest you go. So he has confirmed this covenant all by himself to Abraham, that Abraham, I'm going to fulfill what I promised you, and the land that I told you I'd give you, it's going to be yours. It's fully yours. So the, he makes this blood covenant, with Abraham. In Genesis 17, it says in verse 7, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be, to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I'll be, and I'll be their God. Now, do you have any, can you, can you see any way out of this? God has said he is going to give the children of Israel, the land of Canaan, the promised land, and, and Abraham didn't have to do anything to get it. It's already taken care of. I mean, he left, he originally had left the land, and he, he, he was counted righteous because he believed God and all of that. But when God gave this covenant, it was to the children of Israel, to his Abraham's seed forever. Now today, the Bible tells us in Galatians 3 that, that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All are one in Christ. But that's not a replacement. That's a joining. We've been grafted in to Abraham's seed. No, that's the Abrahamic covenant. But there's another covenant. It's the Mosaic covenant. Now, the Mosaic, obviously Moses. It comes from Moses. It's referred to as the Mosaic covenant, or the first covenant. And uh, it was 430 years after Abraham. God meets Moses at the top of Moriah, or Sinai, I'm sorry, and he gives them a, a covenant from God that is conditional. There's unconditional and there's conditional covenants. He, talk, he comes to Moses to give to the children of Israel a conditional covenant. Revocable. If it isn't fulfilled by the children of Israel. And so, um, God, in, in Exodus chapter 6, and uh, God speaks to the children of Israel, and he, 
he makes a covenant with them. He says, I'll make, he says this in verse 7, I'll make you my own people. I'll be your God and you will know that I am the Lord your God, the one who saves you from the hard work of the Egyptians. He's talking to them how he pulled them out. Uh, the Egyptians who forced you to do. I will lead you in the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give you the land to own. I am the Lord. But this promise in this covenant of Moses is a generational promise. Look what it says in Exodus 19. And Moses went up to God, and the, and the Lord called to him from the, mountain, from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I, uh, I did to um, the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if... Everybody say if. Yes. See, it's conditional. There's a condition to this. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall, uh, you shall speak to the children of Israel. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 24, 5, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 25, then you... When you beget children and grandchildren, have grown old in the land, and act corruptly, and make a carved image in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but you will be utterly destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. You see that there's a condition to them. See God says ultimately you, this land, the seed of Abraham this will be their land. But the Mosaic covenant says but not necessarily for every generation. That you're not going to be in the land forever, that there is in fact a condition for you to stay in the land. And if you start worshiping other gods, foreign gods, this is my land, and you're leaving. And, and that's exactly what happened. They, they dis, uh, you know, the, the northern kingdom... Uh, dishonored God and they were sent into the Syrian captivity in 722 BC. Um, the southern kingdom were, were, uh, was sent uh, to the Babylonians. That was uh, uh, in uh, was it 597 BC. And then the Romans, well that was the big one. Because they were scattered, you know, they were scattered to Syria. They're scattered to Babylon. Then the medial Persian Empire took over Babylon and they sent them back to the land. But they were never scattered to all the nations until 70 AD. Jesus prophesied about that. He said it was going to happen. They, in fact, you know, when Rome came in, they uh, at first destroyed the city. I mean, killed 
there's, there's very high estimates of over a million Jews that were uh, killed uh, when, when Titus came in and destroyed the city. But the fact was that eventually they were completely uh, disallowed for being in Jerusalem altogether. They were only allowed into Jerusalem one day a year on the 9th of Av, which is the day of the destruction of the temple. And, um, and so it's a ter- they had been scattered all over the world. And if you follow their scattering, when, when they were allowed to live in certain pockets, for instance, in, in Europe, wherever they settled, God seemed to bless the country in which the Jews were allowed to live freely. Because he is blessing still of Abraham. By the way, that same blessing comes to the Christians today who are also the seed of Abraham. Where Christianity truly flourishes, the nations flourish. We were the beneficiaries of, in fact, the United States were the beneficiaries not only of Christians, but we were the beneficiaries of Jews who had left Europe um, under the Spanish Inquisition and came to, to America. And we have for, you know, since our founding, um, been uh, kind of the house of, of uh, the Jewish um, people as far as the largest population of Jews in the world lived in the United States you know, lived in the United States. And, um, and now I think it's about even whether more Jews are in the United States or in Israel itself. But this covenant is a covenant that was, God had said that if you disobey me, you follow after other gods, and they did, they rejected the Messiah. Just after, after they rejected the Messiah, it wasn't long till they were scattered all over the world and for 2,000 years. Now you have to consider how strange it would be that and people could scatter all over the world and maintain their identity for 2,000 years. I'm going to ask a question. How many here, um, your nationality... You, um, you, when you came from, some of you came from Europe, certainly, maybe French, German, whatever, maybe uh, South American, what have you. And, um, and you, you still, right now, your grandparents' nationality is the same, was the same, and now you are not. Like, for instance, I am full blood, people would, I, I'd say full blooded Italian. Others consider me, I'm not Italian because I'm Sicilian. So I'm full-blooded Sicilian, okay? Both my grandparents came from, uh, all four of my grandparents came from, from Italy, from Sicily. Now, um, my kids are half Italian and a, a mixture of all kinds of things. I can tell you this, Bloody Mary was in one of the lines. On, she's a, uh, yeah, that's why I sleep with one eye open. <laughs> Point being, um, how many of you here, um, you, you're kind of one nationality? 
hands up. I want to just see how many. Like hardly any. Right? What we got? One, two, three, four, five. Maybe seven or eight in this whole building of people. Because it doesn't take long. How many of you have so many mixture, you can't even say what you don't even have all that you know that, that you are? I mean, you know, there's just so many. I mean, just, that's like my, yeah. And uh, so anyhow, the point simply being, it doesn't take long. My kids will probably say, say they're Italian and, and some other things. I mean, there's a mixture. My grandkids are... A greater mixture and as that you know it keeps on going it only takes a few generations how for 2,000 years have the Jews stayed the Jews I mean there's not that there isn't some mixture but there's about 15 million Jews in the entire world it's a small number one-third in the United States, another third in Israel itself. How did that happen? And how did those people... Listen, they weren't just spread all over the world. They were spread with different languages. Hebrew wasn't even spoken for 2,000 years. It had to be refound, right? The turn of last century. Rediscovered and it's learning and retaught. They even speak the same languages. And yet they ended up in the same land. How'd that happen? Let me tell you how it happened. Ezekiel 36 says this in verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own waves and deeds. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. Verse 23. And I will sanctify my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst and the nations shall know that I am the Lord says the Lord God when I am hallowed in you before their eyes for I will take you from among the nations gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land that's how God did it God brought them back to their land and he fulfilled the promise now, God's got a final job to do, and I'm done with Zechariah 12.10. For I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the city of grace, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look upon me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his own son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. God has brought him back to the land to eventually bring him to himself. There's going to be a revival in Israel. Oh, there's a lot of things that happen in between. There's, a, there's the Antichrist who rises up. There's the abomination of desolation. There's a temple that has to be rebuilt. There's a, the, the you know, animal sacrifice that is reinstituted in Israel. And, uh, and then there's a battle of Megiddo, which comes and, and God annihilates them. Jesus comes down, walks into, uh, you know, goes, goes down on the Mount of Olives, walks it through the eastern gate into the temple that's there. God 
defeats the enemy and, and the Jews are reestablished. All of that's going to happen. And what we're looking at before us is skirmishes that are, in fact, getting to the place where I believe there's going to be more battles. Israel has encroached into, into uh, Gaza on ground. I mean, they said they were coming and they used it as a tactic to bomb um, you know the the uh, the tunnels and get to some of the um, get to get to the Hamas out of the the general public and into those tunnels and they they bombed them. But they have they have come, gone into Gaza. I don't know how far they're going to go. They might stop soon or they might go further. But Netanyahu has said that if whatever ground they take, that they're not giving it back this time. So the president, I mean, has said, I mean, the prime minister has said that he's not going to give back the land that they encroach on this time. So it might be expansion that it's going to happen. We don't know if it's going to happen. We don't know how far they will go. But we know at this point that that's a possibility. The fact that Netanyahu has not been able to do, build a coalition in Israel as a, for leadership. And, and it, a, the day before, a different coalition was going to be brought together and Netanyahu would be out. The day before that happened, this war broke out. It was this, it is the, it's, it's Jerusalem day that the military, that Hamas started shooting off rockets. Jerusalem day. You know, Jerusalem Day is, it's a day they celebrate the reunion or the uniting of Jerusalem. Six-day war, Jerusalem was united together under one, under Jewish rule. That's the day they celebrated, and that's the day they started shooting off rockets. See, these things don't happen by accident. There, there, There can be natural explanations people can say, but they always seem to fall on these special times and special days because God is at work. And I just want you to know, when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. And we are in the days in which God is building all this together. What happened on the Temple Mount, the fires that, that, that stirred up, they were stirred up by, by um, the Palestinians. They had started it because they wanted to start a skirmish on the Temple Mount so that the Hamas would have an excuse for shooting rockets over. And so that's exactly what they did. But the Temple Mount, something's got to happen there. The temple has to be built. There's going to be more skirmishes. I'm just telling you it's coming. I'm telling you that there's going to be some wars in, against Israel. There's going to be... Iran is behind all of this. Israel knows they've already took out two of their tankers, oil tankers that didn't have oil in them necessarily. Military stuff was in them. They've, they've, they've taken out two of them already. They're going to have a war. I don't look forward to it. I understand this. And please, when we look at this, I think sometimes there's kind of a, you know, because we understand what God is going to do, we also think in terms of, wow, yeah, Israel, go get them. You know? But there are innocent people in all of these lands. We need to keep that in mind, and we need to pray. There are Christians 
There are Christians in Iran, many Christians in Iran, who love Jesus, and they don't like what their leadership's doing. They don't like their, what, what's going on there. And there's pressure politically there. All these things are playing out. We'll talk about this some more. Next week, I want to give you, I'm going to give you the key. And I, I'm pretty sure you've never heard this unless you heard me teach on it once before. But I'm going to give you the key to the time frame of when things occur, the order of things. There's one key. It's so clear in Scripture. It's right up front. I'm going to give you that key next week. And you'll be able to look at Scripture in a whole different way. As you'll see, you're going to know when, what is the sequence? When does the rapture happen? When is, you know, when is the re resurrection? When is the Antichrist? All those things, I'm going to give you the key to all of that. It's just one key next week. Father, I thank you that your word is trustworthy. And we live in a time where we're watching these things take place right before our eyes. We're in a generation that has seen you do the miraculous over and over again. And I pray that, Lord, we will not become, Lord, just uh, complacent about the reality that your coming is soon. And that, Lord, we will, in fact, be those who, Lord, live our life differently in anticipation of your return. I pray. Lord, touch those who are distant from you. And Lord, draw them into the kingdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.